So, um, this is my first class back. Thought I would do it on an unusual topic for me, which is the Bardo. And this is unusual for a number of reasons. Uh, one, I'm an empowered teacher in the Theravadan tradition, which is Southeast Asian Buddhism. Uh, and my background is also in, my academic background is in psychology. Tonight's talk, though, really focuses on concepts that have been elaborated on primarily in Tibetan Buddhism. So um, while I've uh, been familiar with Bardo and texts associated with it for uh, quite a long time, uh, it's, it is still outside of my most familiar stomping grounds, but I'll do the best I can to at least uh, introduce some of the basic concepts and hopefully make it not just something that's interesting, but something that can be employed in our day-to-day -day life, um, the ideas that animate this rich and profound body of work. So the Bardo is an idea somewhat, in some ways, I'd say thinly similar to the, uh, the Judeo-Christian concept of limbo, a transitional state, an in-between stage after the end of one phase before another stage of existence begins. This, of course, plays into the Buddhist idea of rebirth, which is that we are, in the traditional teachings of the Dharma, we are in specific births that are animated by craving and fueled by a kind of lust for sensual pleasures to distract us from the underlying stresses of existence. And it's when we become aware of the nature of craving and let go of craving, we can relax into each moment without trying to get to another moment where we believe we'll be happier or have more stuff. And when we get to this place where we can relax into existence, we can essentially achieve nibbana, which is um, a kind of extinguishing, not a not more rebirths, but actually an extinguishing of life. Anyway, the bardo was um, known as the antara bawa, the in-between existence, but by the time we get to the 5th century, Vasubandhu, it becomes primarily a Tibetan. And then by the 8th century, a text called the Bardo Total, the Tibetan Book of the Dead as we know it, or the Great Liberation, was written by a Tibetan <coughs> Buddhist master named Padmasabhava. Padmasabhava. And um, the idea is that this text would be a guide for the living, on how to navigate that in-between stage between the, the end of one life and the rebirth into another. It's quite a singular and amazing set of uh, beliefs. And even as a mythology, if one takes it as simply an early human attempt to come to grips <coughs> with death, and to make meaning of it, and maybe it somewhat is difficult to live with contemporary uh, science, it's a very beautiful and profound set of ideas. The word bardo essentially means a transitional state, as I said, where one's habitual ways of processing, perceiving, making sense of the world around us fall away. And we are in a different stage of life altogether where all of uh, uh, our beliefs, our views, 
our habits, our routines, everything, even our sense of who we are, begins to fall away. And um, it's a very disorienting experience, to say the least. Traditionally, there are several different ways that one could be in a bardo state. The most famous to us Westerners is that time after death before rebirth, which is known as Sridpa bardo. But there are other forms of bardos. There's the bardo of dreams, Rimlam bardo, the bardo of the uh, non-dualistic, transcendent states that one can attain in meditation, where one goes outside of the normal, there's a me, there's everybody else, I'm moving through life trying to get my stuff. When one transcends that, one is in dhyana bardo. And then there is bardo's events or phases that can happen in life. And we'll talk a little bit about this, but in the 1960s it became very popular to suggest by people uh, known as Timothy Leary and Ram Das, who was then known as Dr. Richard Alpert, that one could attain bardo states by consuming hallucinogens. And, uh, of course, also other events in life, like traumas, where one is knocked out of external awareness, knocked out of a familiar sense of self, and one is suddenly in this realm where uh, one is catapulted into a dreamlike state where all of the uh, laws that we've come to know in the world, the, the sense of uh, who we are, what our role in the world is, uh, dissipate, go away, people who are long dead reappear. In essence, it's a timeless zone. Many people have compared it with the Freudian unconscious, the uh, Jungian shadow realm, the idea that also the realm even of the right hemisphere of the brain, which is timeless and doesn't hold a clock or a sense of day and date, but is a sense of timeless associations where people who are long dead still have great effect on us and where we are still uh, inner children and so forth. So it's a very unfamiliar perception. Let's take some of the teachings of the Bardo. It's said that in death, obviously, the body grows heavy, immobile, uh, vision diminishes, sounds seem as if they're far away. And then, according to the total, when we enter in consciousness, at the moment of death, there's this bright, clear light. And then one arises out of one's normal body in what's uh, referred to in English as a bardo body. You're all looking at me. This is kind of like a campfire story, right? It's kind of cool, but I, I like to look bardo body. What the hell? Uh, yeah, so we arise in a bardo body, which is a weightless spirit that can change shape, according to the original text, can pass through objects, and can only be seen by other bardo bodies. I, they're, you know, kind of like uh, the sixth sense. We can only be seen by other people who are in this transitional state or by people with a divine eye. Now, who are people with a divine eye? That potentially is all of you. If you become uh, liberated through your spiritual practice in that process, develop the divine eye, which means you can hear, apparently, people who have recently departed. Of course, these are traditional beliefs, and I'm trying to present them without any view or opinion on them. Um, so, 
each Bardo body has a lifespan. The lifespan actually happens to be the same as a human week, seven days. At the end of each seven-day period, each Bardo body we inhabit will die, and then there'll be another flash of light, and then we will be put into another Bardo body, which will have a different appearance, a different sense to it. Now, this Bardo realm, we will have no or very limited shadowy awareness of the external world. It'll seem kind of like a dream where everything will be distorted. We will see people who are not alive just as clearly, if not more clearly, than people who are actually alive. With each transformation, we may encounter a divine being and a rather nightmarish being. The divine ones are known as Dhyani Buddhas. The wrathful, terrifying deities are known as Harukas. And they will show us different visions. Largely, the Dhyana Buddhas show us visions of what is the divine uh, serenity and uh, transformative calm and peace that's available, the tranquility available to the human being. Whereas the Harukas, the nightmarish ones, are largely going to show us our own fears and our own worries and our own greatest um, feelings of disappointment, regret, shame, and guilt. So the nightmarish ones are somewhat tied to our own psychology, whereas the, the divine ones are actually based on possibility of what the human mind can achieve. In each of these seven phases, uh, and they're, they're seven days long, and you get a, a total of seven of them, so there's 49 days. And in traditional Buddhist practice, when somebody dies, that's why they light a candle for 49 days. Because it's thought that for that 49-day period, the soul is still in transition. At the end of this 49-day period, one is... Uh, into extremely intense visual experiences. The pleasure that's presented, the tranquility realms are more tranquil, I suppose, but certainly what comes clear from the text is that the negative hallucinations based on one's most greatest worries, which will seem just as real in the Bardo states, as our fears will seem just as real and will come to life in front of us as, it, as real memories and, you know, things that have actually happened. So we're in a real, increasingly terrifying realm. And in even early Buddhism, but increasingly as the <clears throat> texts have been translated and rewritten, it becomes clearer and clearer that these states are entirely psychological projections based upon regret and shame. So they are karma, because karma in Buddhism is a profoundly psychological teaching that if we act harmfully, act in antisocial ways, act in ways that harm other beings, those actions just don't go away. They remain embedded in the right hemisphere, the emotional unconscious, to be essentially projected out onto a later date is depression, guilt, despair, or in the Bardo realm, we experience the most regrettable actions of our lives 
uh, or the greatest needless anxieties and uh, aggressions as, is, as if they're still happening. So it's a very psychological idea. At the end of the 49 days, the visions are so intense that as we reach the final blinding light, we are faced with two possibilities. We can either be reborn, and actually that's not a good thing. <laughs> reborn means essentially we failed the test. People in the West don't get that. To be reborn doesn't mean you've won the prize, <laughs> you won the lottery. No, it means actually that one's craving is so strong to escape the hallucinations and the intensities of the visions and the things that we're seeing, we're taking them as real. But there's another possibility. We can achieve enlightenment. And the way that happens is really, I think, kind of profound. In the core teachings, to be enlightened is at that very crucial moment, at the end of the seven seven day long bardo phases where one's life is essentially playing in front of one's eyes, especially the bad hits. And we're there amidst all of the visions of every one we've known that's been emotionally important. And we're faced with all that. If we have a recognition, get this, that none of it was actually what it seemed, that it was all an illusion, and always a dream that we had to some degree constructed in our own minds, if we have that realization, then we're snapped out of the game and we wind up in a timeless realm of neither death nor lack of death, but there's no longer any rebirth. So the key is in recognizing that not just the bardo, but all of our experiences in life were in fact illusory and were not, in a sense, what we believe them to be. Now, I'd like to uh, read you something from a new book, which is I've been reading. It's called Lincoln and the Bardo. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. It's by a great American novelist named George Saunders, and I don't want to be an advertisement for a book, but if there's any book to be an advertisement for, it would be this book. It's actually wonderful. Um, and in it, Lincoln's son, Willie, has died. And he's in the Bardo. Not Abe. It's not about Abraham Lincoln being in the Bardo. It's about Willie Lincoln being in the Bardo. Willie dies when he's 11. I believe a typhoid fever. <coughs> he's in the Bardo, surrounded by all these other uh, dead souls, which have recently died as well. But they happen to be a lot older than him. And they're all kind of creepy. And they're all kind of working through their stuff. And Willie doesn't have a lot of stuff to work through. And he's visited by his father, Abe, who can't, who can't see him. He can see his body, but he can't see that he's still alive and there in the cemetery. But um, as Willie reaches this stage where enlightenment becomes possible, what he sees is, and this is Sanders, who happens to be a Tibetan Buddhist, um, nothing was real, yet everything was real inconceivably real, infinitely dear, but not real. These and all things started as nothing, latent within a vast energy broth, but then we named them, we loved them, and in this way brought them forth. And now we must lose them. I send this out to you, dear friends, before I go. In this 
instantaneous thought burst from a place where time slows and then stops. We live forever in a single instant. So that's what is the enlightenment when one sees that um, the left hemispheric narrative storytelling things of birth and death and achieving and accumulating fall away, we wind up in a much more timeless emotional perception where nothing is ever lost, where everything we've ever experienced is present, and we live in this timeless moment where there is no past and there is no future. So that's what um, can happen according to the traditional texts. To do this, one has to be completely non-reactive to all the things one sees in a bardo state. It would be like one is in a dream, dreaming at night, and suddenly becomes fully aware, not only that it's a dream, but literally says, I don't believe any of this, I know it's not true, this is not happening. Or if in the middle of your life you stopped in one moment and realized all of the things you're chasing, trying to accumulate, trying to achieve, all the things, the stories that you lived in are just a construction and that there's nothing that you need, there's nothing missing because everything that will ever happen is already present in some way in your life. Well, that's pretty heavy stuff. And believe me, I'm not sitting here pretending to you that I've achieved a Bardo-like liberation I'm just trying to present which I think are very, very cool ideas. So the key is disidentification. Recognizing experience is not real, is not objective, but a subjective repression, exception, a, a, sorry, a subjective projection of all the past experiences and repressed fears and all the things we've been told are important in early life are just being projected out and turned into a story. So one has to deeply <coughs> let go of grasping and aversion. Now, um, in the 1960s, it's not surprising that this, these ideas became very, very exciting to a, book, uh, to a bunch of young doctors at Harvard by the name of uh, Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, uh, a.k.a. Ram Dust who were on a team of people that led what was known as the Harvard Psilocybin Projection and, uh, Project. And oh, to be a part of that, right? That's <laughs> a, while I've had some terrible trips in my life, it does sound kind of uh, cool, right? I mean, you get to go to Harvard in the 60s, Le Timothy Leary Ramdas is your professor, and they're dosing you with psilocybin. <laughs> and they're writing down what you experience during this project, which was overseen, guess who was their thesis overseer? Olgis Huxley, <laughs> the writer of Brave New World. Uh, and the Doors of Perception was overseeing this. So you got Huxley, Leary, and Ramdas doling out, you know, mushrooms to students and then having them report what they see. And um, so they wrote, after they were kicked out of Harvard, and you can't really be surprised by that outcome. <laughs> Apparently, they thought it was a great idea to give interviews about their experiments with the Harvard Gazette or something like that. And so they wrote up what they, the two years of research 
accumulated in a text called The Psychedelic Experience, <coughs> which was the uh, one of the most influential books of the 1960s. And the idea was just like the Tibetan Book of the Dead would help one prepare with what would happen in the afterlife after one had physically died, the psychedelic experience would help people prepare for the ego death they would experience while hallucinating on psilocybin. And they decided that uh, what they had heard from people tripping was so similar to the visions that people saw in the seven stages of the bardo that they, in essence, wrote a how-to-trip book based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And similarly, they reached a very similar conclusion. I'm going to read you now from Leary and Ramdas. Torturing visions will come, and the first impulse will be to flee in panic and terror, not caring where one goes so long as one gets out. The person may see oneself as about to fall down into a deep, terrifying precipice. But one should neither flee the pain nor pursue any pleasure. Recognition is all that is necessary. If one can recognize and examine the visions as they appear, one can learn a great deal about oneself in a very short time. But it is unwise to struggle against or flee the dark visions that come. Only analyze with great care, and the real nature of that which is frightened to you will be revealed. Reality is nothing but a voidness. They essentially reach the exact same conclusion as the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which is that amidst an acid, well not an acid, a psilocybin trip, the goal is to reach this moment of clarity where one realizes that everything one experiences and sees is not real, but in fact a construct of all of the repressed content that have been stored away in the mind waiting for our attention. And if we do that, we can rest and be with anything and therefore transcend the sort of narrow little ego in our lives, which is running away from this repressed consciousness, trying to attain money and things and objects so that we never have to feel those fears. The idea is if you can stop and confront all of the repressed fears, all of the repressed content, all of the guilt, worry, shame, and be with it and simply observe it, then all of the stuff that's pushing you through life and motivating and causing us to run will dissipate and then we'll be left in an endless moment <coughs> which is life without the small ego, life in the open, spacious, emotional awareness. <coughs> Of course, as um, beyond Leary and uh, Ramdas, other Tibetan Buddhists have, over the years, um, sought to make the idea of the bardo far larger than simply the phase between death and rebirth. Uh, Chokyam Trungpa wrote Transcending Madness, The Experience of the Six Bardos. Sogyal Rinpoche wrote the Book of Living and Dying. And they're both attempts by uh, revered Tibetan teachers to explain bardo concepts as a basic human psychology of how to deal with 
what would say traumatic events in life, events after we go through heartbreak, losses, ends of careers, um, devastating events, when we're thrust into a realm where all of the nightmares and fears have essentially flooded before us, we lose all sense of the normal way of perceiving reality. These books attempt to use these concepts to explain how to relate. Um, so there are some core psychological concepts to take away from all we've discovered, we've talked about. The key themes of the Bardo psychology is that one can prepare for Bardo states, whether even if you don't believe in the afterlife version, the Bardo states of shock, loss, uh, traumatic events, moments and times where suddenly everything becomes meaningless for whatever reason, say we elect a madman as president, and we're left wondering what in the world is possibly real, there are ways we can prepare. The first is, of course, the traditional practice not knowing. When we're in the Bardo realm, the first thing people want to do is they want to react. They want surety. They want to be pulled out of the confusion and doubt, the terror, the fear. They want to go back into something that's familiar. And that's a very common theme throughout all the Bardo literature, including the characters in George Saunders' book, there's a desire to get back, to return to one's life as one had it before, eh, amongst the living or before the tragedy, before the loss, before the heartache, before the trauma. And the key is to not do that, but to stay in and ex accept and be with the, whatever is, ex is occurring and to investigate it from a non-reactive, open perspective of embracing the experience rather than running from it. To do that, we need to do this in our day-to-day -day lives. And the best opportunity is, of course, in meditation. And I'll be leading a kind of Bardo-like meditation where hopefully we can uh, practice some of this. But the experience is, one, practice not knowing. Uh, practice being with rather than needing to make a decision or take an action or react, just being with. Knowing that avoiding or running only makes things worse because it makes the illusions even more real. It makes the fear, fears seem more real. There's nothing that makes fear seem more real than avoiding what we're frightened of. And then relaxing into the experience. Now another important theme I should mention is that in the Bardo realm, because one doesn't have a physical body, one has a Bardo body, which is weightless, um, that's why the mind spins out and goes off into its own fear spirals or hallucinations or worries. It takes off on its own. The body, our physical body when we're alive, is the weight that keeps us partially grounded and keeps us from spiraling off into dreaded fears, anxieties, worries. It's why we're told to breathe when we might be having panic or fear. The sensation of weight in the body pulls us away from the fear projections into the felt body. So when we're in the Bardo realm, 
we not only have the opportunity to become aware that it's just an hallucination and not to react to it, but we can ground ourselves by, because we are alive, breathing, feeling the body, checking in with the felt sensations, and that is an alternative way to essentially step out of believing whatever is present. So I hope something in there was of interest. If you do want to read any of these texts, by the way, they are all available to you on PDF. You do not need to spend a dollar. Uh, finding a really uh, comfortable seated posture where there's a nice balance, which means essentially that there's a good alignment between the head and the shoulders and the hips. And if you want to start this meditation with your eyes open, but without looking around and just taking in the sight of the room in front of you, just seeing what the Buddha called the loka, the worldly realm, just allowing it to be there, noticing what sight does, how it pulls the body, or pulls awareness out of the body, I should say, into a sense of me looking at stuff outside of me, and it creates a very small sense of self, i.e. there's everything I see in front of me, and then there's little old me in this small body, and that creates a kind of consciousness that's um, engaging parts of the brain that uh, busily create a sense of self in a specific place outside of the rest of the world. And then closing the eyes and just seeing what happens to one's sense of self when vision is removed, or sight, I should say, is removed. Now, generally what will happen is the mind, which is set up to process information, will amplify the sense of body sensations and sounds. So what was using up awareness or our <laughs> processing, the world around us, will now be replaced with a felt sense of the body and the sounds of the room. And, and now because a lot of our awareness is now comprised of body sensations like the sense of heat in the body, Perhaps you'll be aware of the breath, aware of parts of the body twitching, perhaps the eyes behind the closed eyelids, or a feeling of slight contractions or tensions or stresses in the body.
due to the proximity of the felt body, it will change the way we experience ourself. Uh, the self feels larger, as much more of experience is being consumed by body sensations. The sounds create a sense of width. And then there are contact sensations. So before we go into the bardo-like part of the meditation, let's stay for a while in the body. You can either feel the body breathing and count inhalations and exhalations, one on the in, two on the out. Three on the in, four on the out, five on the in, and back down, four on the out, three on the in, two on the out. Counting from one to five and back down. Or just feel the overall felt body comprised of tensions and blood circulating, and twitching, pulsations, vibrations. The kind of field of experience, a field of sensations.
So at this point, if you'd like, squeeze your eyelids like your child squeezing the eyelids closed and creating a can of white light behind the eyelids and letting the felt body drift into the background. And now you are in a bardo realm, letting go of all of the stories of your life, things you need to accomplish and do. They're all away. The world is far away. What you would call reality is now faded. The body is weightless, much lighter. And at this point, we'll start out with just the realm of craving. Bring to mind something that of late you really wanted to attain. A beautiful house in the country, the ability to travel somewhere. Something you've wanted to create, the great American novel. And just let the mind be in craving, wanting. While you do this, see if you can cultivate another kind of awareness that just observes and watches as desires and things we want play out in front of us like a movie, but this time we're going to watch that movie knowing that it's just the projection of a mind of a child that always felt that if it got something you would never have to suffer or feel pain. Let's just bring up all the different things we want to achieve, attain, the people we want to impress, the things we want to do that haven't been accomplished. Not to degrade any of it, but just to be with, without judging, without reacting, without criticizing, just allowing. And if you fall into the story, just know when you wake up, take a nice breath, and then return to the practice, allowing the mind to present all the things it wants, all the stories about where we have to go, what we have to do before we die, all the things we need to accomplish. But now they're not true, they're just stories.
Now at this point, allow whatever images in your mind to trail off. And at this point, if you like, squeeze your eyelids or just be for a moment and whatever visuals appear behind closed eyelids. And now we will be in another Bardo stage being with a darker visitor, bringing to mind whatever has been troublesome of late, perhaps something that we've been working through, a fear, loneliness, money, guilt over some action or disappointment, a story that we should have done more or achieved more or been better at something. And without in any way stopping or reacting to just let the images spiral in front, the negative worrisome, troublesome, emotional content, just encourage the mind to play it out. But our job is just to observe and not react and not run and not try to tell ourselves that we should do something to make it go away. Just be with. So in essence, welcome the fear or the aversive. And while you do this, relax the body, the light bardo body. Just being with, instead of needing to get rid of the sense, I'll never achieve what I want to achieve, I'll never have security, I'll never find the perfect person to be with. Whatever story is worrying the mind, just allow it to create visuals, but this time relax and be with, not needing to answer, not needing to figure out or solve.
So letting go, just being present, and now you have achieved and reached the final stage, and you're facing two choices. You can go with choice one and return to the normal story of life, all the things we still need to achieve and amass and accomplish in order to believe that we need to accomplish something to be lovable, or you can choose option two. There's nothing missing. Everything that's important has always been present. There's nothing the future will present that isn't available here, right now. I don't need to attain or accomplish anything. And I can live in this endless moment without resisting or craving anything.